Today's scripture is Romans 16, 1 through 16. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a servant of the church in Kenkriae. So you should welcome her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints and assist her in whatever matter she may require your help. For indeed, she has been a benefactor of many and of me also. Give my greetings to Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their own necks for my life. Not only do I thank them, but so do all the Gentile churches. Greet also the church that meets in their home. Greet my dear friend Eponidas, who is the first convert to Christ from Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked very hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews and fellow prisoners. They are noteworthy in the eyes of the apostles, and they were also in Christ before me. Greet Ampliatus, my dear friend in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our co-worker in Christ, and my dear friend Stachys. Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my fellow Jew. Greet those who belong to the household of Narcissus, who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, who have worked hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend Persis, who has worked very hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother and mine. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermes, and the brothers and sisters who are with them. Greet Philologus and Julia, Nereus and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ send you greetings. The word of the Lord. I was going to say, you have to give it up for Erica for taking on that passage. So smooth. We were looking at that and going... Maybe we should assign one of our New Testament uh, teachers to read that, but we said, oh, Erica's up. I think she's up for it, so you, you killed it. You crushed it. Thank you. Uh, to start this new year, we're in a teaching series called Liturgy for Life, and what we're doing is we're taking a look at every part of our service, each part of our Sunday service, our Sunday liturgy, and we're asking, why? Why do we do this week in and week out? What's the meaning behind it? And the goal is that we not only understand why we do these things on a weekly basis, but that we would enter into each part of our Sunday gathering and worship service with more open and receptive hearts to what God wants to do in our lives from beginning to end. We're also asking how might each part shape our daily and our weekly liturgies? that we might be more centered on Jesus. So every week, at some point in the service, we have a time that we call life in community. That's when we do announcements, and we did a part of what we usually do on Sundays. We get up and we greet each other. Many people have told me that this is their least favorite time in our service on Sunday. Okay, so folks who are introverts, people who hate small talk, people who don't want to go around shaking people's hands, people who like their own space, people who feel like this is an interruption in the service, it's okay if that is you. We're being honest here as we go throughout this series and asking ourselves, am I engaging in this part of the liturgy or not? So some of you have told me, why do we have to do that? It's uncomfortable. Is it really necessary Is it a part of worship? Should it be a part of our liturgy? This passage 
that we just heard read can help us answer these questions. And maybe if that is you, it can change your mind. And more than ever, we can appreciate and enter in to our life and community on a weekly basis. And if you're here and you are still investigating Jesus, asking questions, not sure about your faith, this also might be a time where you wonder, what is this thing where we have to stand up and say, hi, it's uncomfortable. But I hope for you as well, as we look at this passage here in the book of Romans, all these names, that it would give you a fuller picture of who Jesus is and what it means to be a follower of his. So the outline for today, it's not in your bulletin. Let me give it to you now. It'll be up there on the slides. Number one, the need for life and community. Number two, this passage shows us, it gives us a way to build, how to build life and community. It shows us what happens when we do the power of life and community. And lastly, we'll talk about the challenge of life and community. This is a special Sunday in that we've pushed life and community to the end of the service. We have a town hall meeting, a congregational family meeting. So this is an appropriate time for us to take a look at this text. So first, the need for life and community. This passage is it's one of those passages that if we're reading the Bible or if we just heard it read like we did just now, we tend to check out. And just skim over that section. We'll say, here's some names, greet this person, and so-and-so. I can't pronounce that. What is the point of this? Just move on, blah, blah, blah. Because it seems so miscellaneous. It's just like a tack-on, just an extra, something so foreign to us. That it's easy to miss the significance of this, passages, of this passage and other passages like it. There are other final greetings in the New Testament letters. Many of them have something like this. But this list of greetings, and a part of why I chose this in Romans chapter 16, is because how long it is. There are 26 names mentioned at the end of this letter to the Roman church. What does it tell us? First, it tells us something about the Apostle Paul. It tells us how connected Paul's life was to the lives of other people. Maybe Paul, maybe the most holy, devout, serious person that we could think of from the pages of the New Testament and all of Christian history, who was more serious about their own individual and personal relationship with God, the Apostle Paul. His life was a life in community. And just reading this passage, it's undeniable to see that that was true of the Apostle Paul. He needed other people. Every letter that the Apostle Paul wrote, he wrote with other people. Sometimes we don't think about that. People were there with him as he was writing, as he was dictating this letter that we have in our Bibles. We see here in verses 1 and 2, he mentions somebody named Phoebe. He calls her a benefactor. What this means is there would be no book of Romans, letter to the Romans without Phoebe, Paul's friend. She likely funded the writing of this letter and its transportation from where Paul was to the city of Rome, and she delivered it as well. We learn about Prisca or Priscilla and Aquila. He says, these are my co-workers. And in verse 8, he mentions somebody, Ampliatus, my dear 
friend. Paul had friends, co-workers, and benefactors. His life was a life in community. And when he wrote to a church, Paul always made a point, almost always to share about the people he was with, the community that was around him, who were ministering with and to him and whom he was partnering with in mission. The reason why he included such a long list of greetings here, I think we can surmise and conclude, was that he wanted this church, the church in Rome, and the people in it to be connected to one another. Greet this person, know this person. He wanted to create in this church in Rome the kind of thing that he had, a life in community. To greet people here, as Paul says, greet this person, greet that person. It's not just a polite hello. Hello, how are you? What's up? What's going on? To greet someone is to open up your life to receive that person into your life, to enrich it. See how Paul's life was enriched by this list of people. To strengthen your relationship with God. We see how Paul's relationship with God and his ministry really couldn't exist without these people. Some of them, he said, they risk their lives for me. And without these people, he's saying, you really can't fulfill and find your purpose, the purpose God has given you. It's been said many times about our culture, about the time we're living in, we live in a loneliness epidemic. What's the cure? How do we find a cure? In many ways, it's gotten worse and more challenging through COVID and all these challenges. Romans 16, hear this crazy little passage that seems tacked on at the end of this letter tells us greeting is the cure. <laughs> greeting can be an answer to the loneliness epidemic. A liturgy of greeting where we remember we need life and community. It is not a bunch of eyes here gathered together separately, but we are a we. We are a community. So that's the need for life and community. How do we build it? In this passage, there is a very, very practical step that the Apostle Paul gives for building a life in community. It's found in verse 16. Would you look at that verse with me at the very end? It's the holy kiss. This is not the only time that Christians are told to greet one another with a kiss. There's four other times in the New Testament. 1 Thessalonians 5. I charge you, well, that's 27, uh, 526, greet all the brothers and sisters with a holy kiss. 1 Corinthians 16, 20, greet one another with a holy kiss. 2 Corinthians 13, 12, be of the same mind, be at peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints send you greetings. 1 Peter, so Peter also said the same thing as Paul, greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. So questions about this. What is this? A repeated theme in the New Testament. Why a kiss? And secondly, did Paul and Peter really intend for this kiss to be a part of the liturgy? 
to be a part of worship. Let's look at that. The kiss. Why? Why a kiss? It was a way in this culture at this time to give somebody a warm and affectionate greeting. It's more common, um, scholars think, in Jewish culture of the time than in Gentile culture, but it was practiced in both and mostly amongst close relationships and family members. Many historians, most, uh, the majority opinion, opinion is it wasn't a kiss on the cheek like some cultures now. It was actually a kiss on the lips. Okay, we're a little uncomfortable with that. But what this is saying is this kiss was a liturgy and a habit at this time in this culture. And for many years it was in the early church. And it was done to strengthen and to express the reality that the people in this church community are more than acquaintances. And people that occupy the same space once a week, they are family. They are my brothers and sisters because of what Jesus has done for us. So it was done to build life and community. Let me just tell you where I'm not going with all of this, just so you know. If at our town hall meeting afterward, I ask our finance team member, David Kim, who'll be giving an update later, to come up. Say, hey guys, let's bring David Kim up and let's have him come up. And I greet him with a holy kiss on the lips. Sorry to pick on you, Dave, but I I knew you'd appreciate it. I would be greeted with a holy punch (laughs) into the face because that's not a culturally appropriate greeting for us. Not many of us, even in our families, practice the kiss on the lips. So culturally, in our context, we might have a handshake. We might have a side hug. We might have the bro hug or whatever you want to call that that when we tap each other's uh, backs or a fist bump or other ways of expressing that. That's why they did it though. To build, it was a practice to build this life in community and the next question is when? Was this really a part of worship? There's a debate about this. Now lots of churches have greetings time, announcement time, uh, some have passing of the peace. If you've been in a church that calls it the passing of the peace. Some do still have the kiss in the Eastern churches. Everyone agrees when Christians gather together for worship, there should be some time for greeting, some time to welcome and connect with each other. Should it be, the question is, after the service, before the service, or during the service? I think, after thinking about this this week, that a case can be made based on this text and others For the holy kiss or the cultural equivalent of the holy kiss to be a part of our liturgy and to be considered a part of our liturgy. Paul included these greetings and the holy kiss before his benedictions. And we use that as a model for us to say we should end our service of worship and liturgy with a benediction. God gets the last word of blessing. So benedictions are right there and greetings are right here. And benediction should be a part of our liturgy. Shouldn't also some way of expressing our life and community be as well? These letters, in addition, were meant to be read out loud to the church. So if you can just put yourself in the position of the people who heard this being read. When they heard the words from Paul, when they heard the words from Peter, greet one another with a holy kiss. When did they do it? What did they say, well, we can't do that right now. 
let's just wait till afterward. We'll do it next week before the service. They probably said, okay, let's go ahead and greet one another now in the setting of our worship, in the context of our gathering. Okay, I'm looking at the clock. I really wanted to share this with you, and I think I have time. In the history of the church, uh, this is informative and also a little bit funny, so I have to share this with you. If you look back at the writings of the early church leaders, you see that many of them mention the Holy Kiss as being a part of the liturgy, a part of the service of worship. It was after the preaching of the Word, there was a time of prayer, and then there was this time of greeting and connecting life and community using the Holy Kiss. And then there was communion. Over the years, the practice began to develop and change as more and more people came to the church, as the church became the official state church of the Roman Empire, as it were. More and more people came. They were strangers to one another. Men and women started to worship in separate spaces. And so over time, in the, the Roman church, they developed in, instead this practice of kissing the peace board. So this, this, this object was passed around, and the priest would kiss it and pass it all around to the people. And that was, that was the way they practiced it in many places and for many years. And so there is a bit of record of how this practice was abused and it lost its meaning entirely. And I want to share with you some of what is in the historical record. So way back in 1494, the wardens, this is all a quote from a a source in history, the wardens of the parish of all saints, so the leaders, presented Joanna, Diaka, for breaking the peace board by throwing it on the ground because another woman of the parish had kissed it before her. That doesn't sound like good life and community happening. Another one, on All Saints Day in 1522, Master John Brown of the parish Thaden Garnon in Essex, having kissed the Pax breed or the peace board at the mass, he smashed it over the head of Richard Pond, the holy water clerk who had kissed it before him causing streams of blood to run to the ground. Brown was enraged because the peace board had been first offered to Francis Hamden and his wife Marjorie, despite the fact that the previous Sunday he had warned Pond, Clerk, if thou hereafter givest not me the pax first, I shall break it on thy head. (laughs) So it lost its significance over the years. At the time of the Reformation, because of all this, they said, let's not do that. (laughs) Some added a a passing of the peace, and so it had lost its meaning in some ways entirely. But for us, (laughs) having heard the origins of it from Romans 16 and other passages in the New Testament, we can't get around the fact that Paul said, this is a practice given to you given to the church to build life and community, a holy kiss by making time and space either before or after or during the gathering, I think there's freedom there, to greet and welcome each other personally and affectionately. It's a part of what we're meant to do week after week as followers of Christ. This week I heard another 
pastor say this phrase. It stuck out to me. He said, the story that we believe we live in is the story that we will live out. The story we believe we live in is the story that we will live out. And when you put the pieces of our Sunday liturgy together, they tell a story. You were created by a holy, glorious, gracious God to glorify and enjoy Him forever, called to worship. You have fallen from this purpose. You've become estranged from this God who made you. And so we have our call to confession. But you've been redeemed and restored to God and to your purpose by Jesus Christ. The words of assurance and the preaching of the word. Your life is now lived as a response to his grace. You're being remade to become like him as you look forward to his coming again to renew all things. These are the responses to the word, the sacraments, our prayers, and our songs. Is that the story you live in every day? And here, for our purposes this morning, here is the question. Am I living out my story in my life, mainly as an individual, a solo story on my own, or am I living out my story and my life in community with others? At some point in our gathering, we need to be reminded that we don't live a solo story. We live a story in community. We need to be reminded. We need to be maybe lovingly forced by standing up, by personally and affectionately greeting one another. That the story we are living in is a story of life in community. Third point. This is where I'm going to have to cut some things out. The power of life in community. If we, looked at, if we look at Romans 16 and we ask the question, if a community is, is doing this on a regular basis, what does it do? This holy kiss, this greeting time, this welcoming one another personally, warmly, and affectionately. It has great power. I have five things. I'm going to only share a few of these. It has power for equality. In this list of greetings, there are ten women listed as ministry partners and leaders along with the Apostle Paul and his ministry team. There's a lot more to explore about this. But to have women and men honored together, laboring together like this, was very uncommon, maybe unheard of at the time in this culture, which was largely a patriarchal world and culture. In addition to these women who had ministry leadership roles, many of the people mentioned are slaves, current slaves. He says, greet this household and that household. Scholars conclude that these are greetings to the slaves of these households because the leaders of these households were probably not Christians. And there are former slaves mentioned as well. Herodian, the person named Herodian, was likely a former slave of Herod. There are Jews, Gentiles, men, women, former slaves, current slaves, poor and wealthy. Phoebe was very wealthy. All greeted each other as equals. I'm not an expert on the background of early Christianity by any means, but this kind of mingling this kind of kissing at the time between this type of group of people from all these backgrounds and all these social strata was unheard of. It's what got the attention of people all around and said, what is going on in this Christian community? They were suspicious of it. They do holy kisses, all these different people. What is happening there? And the reality was this practice was enacting the equal dignity and the equality 
that the gospel announces we all have in Jesus Christ. One early church leader said, by this salutation, he's talking about Romans 16, Paul intended to cast out of them any reason for pride. This is Chrysostom. The great were not to despise the small, nor were the small to envy the great. But pride and envy were to be banished by the kiss, which made everyone equal. They could have announced it, they could have preached it, and they did, but the kiss was enacting it. The rich and the poor, the free and the slaves, men and women all together, equals in Jesus Christ. It's the power for equality. Okay, I'm going to pick one more here. The power for embodied community. Okay, obvious point, you cannot greet somebody with a holy kiss over YouTube. It's not possible. This was a community that was physically present with one another. Christian worship, the liturgy of our weekly gathering, it's not something that we can do simply in the spiritual realm, as if that is separate from our bodies. It is an embodied liturgy. God made us with bodies. And in this liturgy, he gave the church a way for us to remember that we need to be physically present to one another. And I know there's been so many challenges and reasons why that hasn't been something we've been able to do on a consistent basis. But this text reminds us the importance, the absolute importance of embodied worship and how we need to even physically express our connection to one another in some way you may have heard that a new thing that's out there, we have cuddle therapists that are out there that you can pay people to just, in a non-sensual way, cuddle with you and hug you. And that is a real thing that is happening. And more and more, we're realizing that people are starving for touch, that the skin as an organ craves the loving, warm touch of another human being. And so, of course, in appropriate and culturally uh, appropriate ways, this is something God has given to the church to connect us, to remind us that we are embodied people. We need to be physically embodied in each other's presence. I have three more. I'll save those for another time. Maybe I'll send those out over the e-news. There is great power as we put this into practice, but there is a great challenge in doing it. We will not be reintroducing the holy kiss, but that doesn't mean that what this is calling us to is comfortable or easy for us. To open up your heart to another person in a genuine greeting, to open up your life to them, to know their name, to begin to know their story and for them to know your name and your story, to receive their gifts to give your gifts to them in service, to go from being anonymous to known by others, it always means discomfort and risk. It's never easy. There might be somebody in your community, in this community, it's not easy for you to connect with them. It's not easy for you to engage with them. You may want to avoid somebody. It's because you're just not clicking. You just don't connect. Somebody might be very different than you. Hard to understand where they're coming from. What happens when you open up your life to somebody? 
and they don't reciprocate back. They move on or maybe leave the community or the church or give no response to you. All this is the discomfort and the risk of life and community. But Jesus knows and understands this risk. He knows the pain of life and community. He was betrayed by one of his closest friends. How was he betrayed? With a kiss. We are told Jesus knew about this ahead of time, yet he still loved Judas. He still knew his name, his story. He still welcomed him into his ministry, into his presence, even at his last meal. He opened his life to him. And Judas is someone we can sometimes put over there and say, Judas, how horrible. He's just in a special class of horrible people all by himself. But Judas, friends, is a picture for us of what we do to God. He traded his relationship with God for 30 pieces of silver, we're told. And that is a picture of us in our sin. What we do to God, what we trade obedience and faithfulness to God for. It's 30 pieces of silver. But this all takes us to the most risky and uncomfortable kiss in the entire Bible. It's found in Luke 15. It's the kiss of the father in the parable that Jesus told of the prodigal son. We're told that the son came back. He sold out and betrayed his father, took all his money and left, just like Judas did to Jesus. And then when he ran out, hit rock bottom, he said, I'm going to go back to my father. I'll be one of his hired servants in the house. And we're told while he was still a long way off, the father saw him because he'd been waiting for him. And we're told he did the most undignified, shameful, foolish thing that a man could do of his stature in that time, that he picked up his garments and he ran and he found his son. And it says he threw his arms around him and he kissed him. To do this at this time would have risked for the father great public shame. What is he doing? Everybody knew what this son had done to his father. Doesn't he have any dignity? Doesn't he have any honor? He would lose it. This was not a discreet little kiss. The word is kiss repeatedly, kiss fervently. He was overflowing in affection for a son who'd done everything wrong and just all he did was come back home. The father risked looking like a fool. He did that so his son would know he was welcomed back with joy into life in community with the father. Friends, that is the gospel. The father has done that for all who turn and come back home to him. And every time we wander, he does it all over again. He kisses us fervently. And that might make us feel a little weird. And what does that mean? God kisses us fervently. But that is the story Jesus told to get it through into our hearts. But we almost dare not believe that the Father is warm and affectionate. That he is fervent in his love for us. And so 
We do life in community because we are called to welcome one another as God has welcomed us in Christ. Jesus died so we could have life in community forever with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and with all those who have been welcomed into community. And so we just practice that week in and week out, what we'll be doing forever and ever and ever and what Jesus died to give us, life in community. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you. It's hard to believe when we're at our worst moments and doubting moments and struggling moments that you're just waiting for us to come back so that you can embrace us and kiss us. And yet that is what we are told is true. I pray that would strike us to the heart this morning. I pray that would move us to know that we've been given the gift of community with you, relationship with you, that you know our names, our stories. And you want to give us this gift of life and community with each other. Help us learn how to do that as a church. Help us learn how to overcome our fears, our struggles, our discomfort, the riskiness of it all. And empower us with the love that we have in Jesus. To love one another like this, truly, warmly, affectionately. We pray you would do it by the power of your spirit. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Would you stand with me? We're going to sing this chorus.